Four years ago, I preached on the same text, and I love it. And I love it so much that uh, it's often part of my meditation and my reflection because I identify with Peter. And some of you in the room might identify with Thomas. The post-resurrection appearances of Jesus um, are truly amazing and wonderful. Uh, you can't see it, but near to my heart I wear a cross, a Celtic cross, uh, a cross that reminds me of, it's a symbol of victory and triumph, but could you imagine anybody that was standing at the cross when Jesus died? Could you imagine that in their hearts or minds that any of them would ever choose to wear such a wretched horrible symbol of death and execution. But our God has changed that awful symbol into a symbol of redemption and love and triumph and grace upon grace. I wear it near my heart to remind me every day when I put that on, Lord, thank you for your grace. But in those post-resurrection appearances, not only do we have the remembrance of the tragedy of the cross, but I want to say to you this morning, because sometimes we go so quickly over these things, or we read them, it's unbelievable to me that somebody could come back from the dead. It's practically beyond my human comprehension. And I believe that's why our Lord appeared to various people at various times, and at one point over 500 at one time, and he appeared to them to address their own particular issue. With Thomas, you know what he had said. He wasn't there on that Sunday night with his disciples when Jesus appeared. He said, you guys are full of it. I will not believe until I can see for myself. Put my hand where? In the palm. See it. And what happens? A week later with Thomas. Jesus comes and is in the midst of them. Dresses Thomas and he says, See my hands and my side. The immediate response of Thomas to the person, the resurrected Jesus, is the correct and only response. It reminds me of Philippians 2, where every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Thomas said, my Lord and my God. I love this passage about Peter. I've had the privilege of visiting Israel eight times. I hope I can go back. You say, well, if once would wasn't once enough, I thought once would be never. Because when you go to a place that feels like home, you want to keep going back. You think about going to your cottage or to your favorite place. I love to walk the shores of Galilee. I asked the last time we were there, I said, just leave me alone. Give me an hour. And I got lost. I hope they wouldn't find me. <laughs> I have pictures of early morning walk along the shores of Galilee. And I can only imagine 
You see, it wasn't only that Jesus came to Thomas to address his need. He came to Peter. Now, it wasn't a question of belief because we know that Peter had seen the Lord. He'd seen the resurrected Jesus. It was a question about the relationship. And there have been times when I've focused a sermon or a teaching on Peter. But this morning I'd like to focus, and I will, I'd like to focus for a few minutes on the words of Jesus to Peter, on Jesus himself. And it was a professor of mine in my early doctoral work in 1986. I know, way back there another time. The Reverend Dr. John Finney, advisor to the Anglican Bishop of Southwell in the UK, who taught me a course on the renewal of the church. And as a Baptist, I had loved the Lord, but I had not loved the church. I didn't understand. An Anglican taught me how to love the church. He asked us to think deeply about our discipleship, and I'm doing the same today on this last chapel Because whatever your issue is with Jesus, if it's like Thomas, or like Peter, or you fill in the blank, Jesus is in this place. And he'll meet you in your particular need and issue to convince you not only of his presence, but to persuade you that you can move forward with confidence. And he has a mission for you. He came to Peter, and there's lots of commentaries on why he asked him the question three times, and we say, well, he denied him three times. There's probably a lot of truth in that. But in each case, when Jesus, after Jesus had cooked their breakfast, and they'd eaten together, I'd love to have the commentary about what the other disciples were thinking. As I met I, and Jesus looks you in the eye, he looked Peter in the eye, and he said so simply, Do you love me? Very briefly today, I want to think with you, or hope you'll think with me, around three conversions that we need. The first is we need to be converted to Jesus. Seminary focuses on many things. Critical analyses of texts. Complexity of authorship of texts. Evaluation of church history, I might say, from certain lenses. Analyses of theological positions on certain beliefs and how proud we become when we think we've arrived. The challenges of effective strategies for mission and evangelism. But quite simply, Jesus asks me and you, do you love me? He isn't asking us this morning, do you love my words? He's not asking us, do you love my teaching or my example? He's saying to you and to me, do you love me? If so, the practice of confession of sin needs to be part of our daily walk with him. Just like Peter, I can grieve the Lord. His word tells me I can even quench quench the power of the Holy Spirit. I can put out 
the Spirit's fire if I grieve and practice sin to the place where I make room for it or disregard it or allow it because His Word says, if I hold tight to iniquity or sin in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Do you love me? Jesus says. We can grieve Him. Peter had done that. You see, Peter needed to confess. And he also needed to see Jesus' face and eyes say, you're forgiven. It's covered. None of us should be sitting here languishing over past sins that we just seem to allow the enemy to convince us have never been forgiven. Jesus would say to you this morning, I have it. It's covered. Do you love me? And then he says to Peter, feed my sheep, feed my lambs, tend my flock. Peter did love the Lord. And he went on to be really the first pastor of the church at Jerusalem. On the day of Pentecost, he preached. There were over 3,000 people saved. But also, it was Peter and John on the way to the temple that saw the beggar. You remember? He said, I need something. And Peter said, well, we don't have that. But what we have, you, what we have we'll give you in the name of Jesus. Rise up and walk. I fear sometimes for the church today that we have the money, but we don't have the power. Because we forgot about the power. Because so many times we've asked and we haven't seen the demonstration. And we thought, well, I guess we just carry on with the words of Jesus and the model of Jesus and the life of Jesus or the ideology of Christianity. And I say to you this morning, Jesus says, do you love me? Be converted to him. Second conversion we need is really to the church. I said to a couple of people earlier this morning, this was hard for me to prepare because it really spoke to my heart because I'm not sure I'm converted to the church. Well, maybe ideally. I like the idea of church. I may not always like my church. Is this being recorded? <laughs> Kempo Baptist Church. It's my church. I thought about something that really convicted me this morning early was I made a decision to ask that church, Earl, I made a decision when John was our pastor to request membership in that church. And the strange thing is they accepted me. <laughs> you see, sometimes I might think, well, of course they would accept me. I'm a reverend. I'm... They accepted me. Do I love the church? Am I converted to the church? I could tell you all about South of the Equator and how the church is growing. I could grumble and growl about what I'd like to see about my church. I'm reminded when I grumble and growl about my church. I'm reminded about Saul who was on the road to Damascus going to persecute and ultimately to perhaps see to the execution of some Christians, when he's blinded on the road, and he asks, who are you, Lord? And who, what's the response? I'm God Almighty? No. The response is, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. 
I tell you, is this has convicted me. And my brother Steve McMullen, who isn't here this morning, said to me not long ago, when I was despairing over something in my church, he said, how involved are you? Well, my wife's involved. I go to church when I'm not preaching somewhere. He challenged me. Get involved in your church that accepted you into their membership. And those of you who had my class know I believe firmly, 1 Corinthians 12 and 12, to come to Jesus is to be baptized, how? In the Spirit, into the body of Christ. You cannot have Jesus without the church. And if you don't like your particular church, or I don't like my particular church, I should get out of it. And I should be somewhere where the gifts of the Spirit that have been given to me can function in the body of Christ. And I'm speaking to myself as much as I speak to you. Because the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit are not exercised in some vacuum. We don't serve a headless body of Christ. Christ has invited us he grafted us into the church to use the gifts we have. We're wasting our life and our breath and our time if we're not engaged into the body. Are you converted to Christ? Are you converted to the church? Not just the idea of it, but practically thinking about what it means for you and for me to engage in the life and the ministry of the church. Jesus said to Peter, feed my sheep. You can't do that if you're not where the sheep are. You might say, but you don't know my church. <laughs> I'd say, well, it's not much different than any of them I've been in. I do know this, it belongs to Jesus. Weak, full of warts, wrinkles, Unhappy, complaining people at times. But we belong to the church. And finally, where you know I'm going, I put the globe in front of me. I've been privileged to travel a lot of places in the world. I was sitting this morning thinking. Inland China in a city of 33 million people. In Chongqing where our missionary was serving under incredible duress. And we met with the China Christian Council and the government representatives who were there in the meeting for our comfort and for their awareness. But I remember being there on a Monday morning and we got up to start the meeting and people one by one could not say anything because they began to weep. And finally, a leader stood up and said, we cannot begin the meeting because the king is here and we need to worship him. And I had the sense, it's just my sense, as we sat around this beautiful oval table with flowers, unbelievably beautiful. 
that as we began to pray, I had a sense that over my shoulder, a door had opened. And it sends over me that, because I'm blue, and you know, blue, red, green, I'm blue. So the Spirit just seemed to wash over me as I had a sense that Jesus actually came in the room. And in Chinese, Mandarin, we sang English, How Great Thou Art. We need to love the world as Jesus loved the world. Scripture we say over and over, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. How do we love this world? Jesus said in Luke chapter 4, it's recorded, I think it's a mandate, I have found it to be in my own life. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. There are poor here in this place. He's preached me, he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. I think he needs to open our eyes to see them. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners. There are people so bound up They need to be set free with the love of Christ. And we tie them up rather than set them free at times with our proclamations and our judgment rather than proclaiming liberty to those who are so bound up. Recovery of sight for the blind. Only the Lord can open the blind eyes that they might see Him. To set the oppressed free. It means to love, to be generous with kindness. To love, to be thoughtful in our engagement in this world. And where there is injustice, to have the strength to know how to address it. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Remember for Thomas, Jesus said, because you have seen me, you believe. Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. Be converted to Jesus, not just his words or his example to him. Be converted to his church, not diverted to negative language, which I'm prone to do, but to love and engage. I've been challenged to engage. It's easy to divert, even as students and as staff and as faculty, but to be converted to the church and its local expression And if you are not settled where you are, please find where you can belong and belong to one another, but engage. Be converted to the world that he loves, that he gave himself for. For those who have not seen, they too will be blessed. Tangible expressions of grace and mercy, love and compassion, justice, and righteousness. May the poor be, be blessed and poverty addressed. May people be introduced to Jesus and be fed his word faithfully by those of you who are prepared and are being prepared to do so. Jesus says, Do you love me? And if the answer is yes, Feed my sheep. Tend my lambs. Take care of my flock. It's a challenge.
It's His challenge. Let's pray. Lord, I've been so convicted by this passage in my own life. I've been so convicted by you. I pray that you would speak to us directly, powerfully, that we might respond humbly. Tear away our pride and sense of self and fill us with gratitude to you for the privilege of knowing you, of being engaged with others in your mission to make disciples and to demonstrate the love of God. We thank you in your name. Amen.